Lord, truly from the bottom of, bottom of our hearts today, we declare that we want you, as we've sung, more than anything else, more than any possession we own, more than anything that we have in our lives. Deep calls to deep from within us. And Lord, we know that we are yours. And the cry of our heart in these days, the cry of our heart in these times, is the same cry that Paul echoed after many years of knowing you, after many years of seeing you work wonderfully in his life. The cry at the end of his life was the same cry at the beginning of his journey was with you. And it was this, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And that cry, Lord, issues from our heart as we've sung today. We want you, Jesus, more than anything. We want to know you in these days and in these times. And we want to reflect your life through our lives. We want your life to be a light into our world, a light, a bridge, a means of connection whereby your love and your grace can flow through us to the needy lives around us, Lord. Father, so that many would come to that saving knowledge of knowing you as Savior and Lord of their lives. Before we sit down, why don't we just thank him, give him praise. Why don't you just quietly from your heart say, Jesus, I want you more than anything. Why don't you just say that right now, quietly? Jesus, I want you more than anything I own. I want you more than anything I possess. Like David, like David we say today, one moment in your courts, one moment in your presence, God, is far better than a thousand anywhere else in this world. It really is. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. And all God's people said, Amen. Come on, why don't we give him thanks this morning? Thank our musicians too. What a blessing. What a blessing. What a blessing they've been to us. Well, over recent weeks, really from the outset of the year, we've been looking at reaching our world for Christ. Each one of us have been commissioned by God. Each one of us carry a wonderful purpose in life. Not just to fulfill the duties that are necessary for the sustainment of our own lives. But each and every one of us have been commissioned by God. Commissioned by Jesus to reach the world and the generation in which we live. I wonder today if you realize the urgency of that commission. I wonder today if you realize the alarm of that commission that has been placed on your life. It's not just to be fulfilled by people who 
may have a ministerial tag or title over their lives. This wonderful commission that was given by Jesus to his disciples and to every successive disciple after them. The Great Commission is to be carried faithfully in every generation by every child of God. It's not drudgery. It's a wonderful commission that we've been given to reach men and women for Christ. And we go into our world graciously. We go into our world knowing that we're assisted by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a joyful task we have. Yes, we'll be rejected. Yes, not everybody will receive us. Yes, not everybody will agree with us. But I found when people reject me, when people disagree with me, it just further embeds within me a conviction of the truth. Not to be dogmatic or argumentative. We're never going to win anybody by our arguments. But we're going to win a lost world and a hopeless world. Aided by the power and the love of God in our hearts as a result of the Holy Spirit residing there. We have a glorious commission and I want to excite you in in this respect. About this glorious commission that you carry. It is wonderful that we have been purposed with such a wonderful plan from God. God believes in you. He believes in me. He knows that we have the goods within us to carry out faithfully this great commission that we have been given by the Lord Jesus Christ. He believes in you. He knows you can do it. Even if you don't think that you match up to it, even if you don't feel that you have the necessary goods to equal the task ahead, because it is an incredible commission, an incredible task, I'm telling you, Heaven believes in you. God believes in you. And as we go about our daily duties, as we go into the various places of life that we're in on a daily basis, opportunity will come. And at the outset of the year, we prayed that we would recognize these opportunities that are all around us every moment of every day. We would recognize people We would see them as God's prized possession. And our hearts would would have the same compassion that compelled Jesus to reach people. These opportunities are all around us. These opportunities, people opportunities that you bump shoulders with. And you're with every minute of every day. These opportunities are there for you and I. And we must take hold of them. And we must share the good news of the gospel, of God's grace. As we, as we see people, it's really important. And we've been given this task, this commission. We've been looking at that. And we've been looking at different moments and different times where Jesus was with people and how he ministered and dispensed the grace and the love of God so freely and so richly. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to look at Jesus, to see him walk into life situations that are hopeless and turn them around with the power of God. Turn them around through who he was and who he is. Listen, we can't do anything 
We can do nothing. But Jesus said this, with me you can do all things. It'll be amazing what God does through you and I as we just simply go out to obey this simple command and this simple commission. Jesus, who am I going to meet today? Jesus, what seed am I going to plant? You may not be the person that prays that prayer of salvation with them, but you may take them one step closer to meeting another person on their way that leads them to Christ. You'll be amazed. We can't do anything. And that's the first important thing that we have to understand. We can't do anything in this great miracle that God wants to do in somebody's heart. We are helpless in this man. But with Jesus, we can do all things. And you'll be amazed. I'll be amazed at what he does through us as we just simply go out into our world. Out into our world of influence into the harvest field, we'll be amazed at what he does through each and every one of us. We may not feel that we equal to the task, but I'm telling you, heaven's behind you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And we are not going out into the harvest ill-equipped. We are going out with the love and the power of God on our lives to diffuse an aroma of his goodness and his grace. Now, just as we begin this morning, I just want to summarize briefly some of the things that we've, that we've looked at over these weeks. And two key verses in particular from John's Gospel. We've looked a number of times and referred to these verses over recent weeks. Firstly, from John chapter 20. And also, we look back to the beginning chapter of John's Gospel, chapter 1. We've referred to these verses and I want to briefly again remind you of these verses because they carry great weight, great impact and direct us into our future as to what Jesus has for us. In John chapter 20, the background setting behind it is this. Jesus had just risen from the dead. And he walks into, into a room to have a private meeting with his disciples. The doors were locked for fear of the Jews. These guys were at an all-time low. They'd given up. When they saw Jesus die on the cross, when they, when they saw him manhandled by sinful men and then suddenly crucified, the one that they thought had all power, the one that calmed the storms, the one that raised the dead, could not save himself. That was the challenge. If you are the Son of God, save yourself. They'd heard those damning words. They'd seen Jesus die. And when they saw him die, and when finally the, the, the stone covered the tomb, they thought their dreams had ended, and they had to go back to what they'd been doing before they had met him and followed him for three years. It was a hopeless situation. Talk about defeat. Talk about disillusionment. Talk about the end of, a, of an event. This was the, the end of an event. All of their hopes died the moment they saw Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. What they didn't know was that God was achieving his purpose, his eternal purpose in Christ Jesus when he was manhandled and taken by the hands of sinful, wicked men. God was achieving his plan through this event. 
of Christ dying on the cross to achieve a bigger outcome, a bigger eternal purpose, to offer salvation to a world that was on its way to destruction. But not knowing that, even though Jesus had told them about it repeatedly, not knowing that, they were confused, dejected, and at an all-time low, defeated. They thought it had all come to an end, but then there was a whisper. There was a rumor that Jesus had risen from the dead, so they momentarily regroup. But there's a lot of pressure. The doors are barred. Suddenly, Jesus walks into the regroup, the regrouping of these men, these disciples. First thing he says, doesn't panic. I mean, it's absolutely wonderful, absolutely beautiful when you come into the scene and you see it. The opening words. Whoop! The opening words. That's effects for you. What do you think of that? Perfect timing, boys. Well done. Oh, there it is again. The opening words weren't panic-stricken, but peace-driven. Peace, he says, unto you. These men are guilt-ridden, condemned. And we said this over recent weeks. But you see, this is how Jesus heals us. This is how Jesus ministers privately to us. When we feel def defeated, completely deflated, when, we, when we've come to the end of the road, when we, when we think, oh, do you know what? I can't go on with this anymore. All of my hopes and dreams have died all of my hopes and dreams of ever doing anything for God have come to an end. In fact, anyway, I turned my back on him and deserted him. And that's the predicament that all of them were in. But he walks in. And he doesn't, you know, look around the room with a scowl on his face. Coming with a list. No, love keeps no record of wrongs. And it never fails either. And he walks in with one objective. To recommission them to redefine them, to tell them about the glorious future in him that they have got. Even in the worst moment, the darkest moment of their lives, he walks in with no condemning tone, with no scowl on his face. What bursts out of his heart, the Prince of Peace declares, peace unto you, peace unto you. The first words of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who had risen from the dead. Peace! Peace! You see, John tells us in his opening chapter, you can read it, that the law came through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. And grace doesn't say. Grace never points us to our past. Grace always points us to our future. Grace doesn't rub our noses in, in what we haven't done or what we have done. Grace never condemns. Grace comes with a beautiful message of peace and restoration. And these are the first words that we hear of the resurrected Lord. Our high priest, peace to you. Peace to you. He stands here this morning. And, and, and we may have come in here guilt-ridden. Oh, God could never use me. I mean, look at, look at, look at my past and, and look at how inconsistent my life is. Well, just look at how inconsistent their lives were. It's a picture of us all. He comes to us today. He says, peace to you. Peace to you. Yeah, but what about I did? Let's not talk about that. Peace to you. 
peace just erases all of the past mistakes, sins, desertions, and failures. Peace to you, he says. And then he commissions them. He maps out their future. He doesn't ask them for their consent, their opinion, or their permission. His word just comes as a clear declaration about what's going to happen beyond this moment. You're not going to stay here, boys. <laughs> You're not staying here. You may have locked the doors and you may, you, you, you may have reached all of the wrong conclusions as a result of your reasoning. But I've risen from the dead. You're not staying here. You're going back to the place that rejected me. You're going back to Jerusalem. Mapped out their future. He wouldn't leave them where life had taken them. That's what grace does. John chapter 20, verse 21. Let's look at it. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. And this is beautiful. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I also send you. Now in that moment when he said that, as the Father sent me, I also send you. In that moment he was declaring to them that their future was going to be far greater than this moment that they were in. He was declaring to them that they weren't going to go out in an inferior manner. But the same grace that they had seen dispensed so richly from Jesus, the same glory that characterized Jesus' ministry was going to characterize their ministry. Oh, they weren't going to do necessarily the same things that Jesus had done, but there would be the same weight of glory. There would be the same availability of grace amongst them all. To enrich the world, to save the lost, to reach the ends of the earth. And by, do you know what? You look at the, you look at the Acts of the Apostles and my goodness me, you see the grace and the power and the anointing and the glory of God on simple folk, on simple people, just like you and me, moved by the Spirit. And they went through the city. And once they'd finished with one city, they went, they went through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And when they came to all of that, and that had been affected by the kingdom of God, that's when they started to reach the ends of the earth. Do you know, by the third century, by the third century, you can do the checks. Rome was brought to its knees by people, simple people, illiterate many of them, illiterate people that had the love of God burning in their hearts and in the midst of severe persecution, in the midst of tremendous martyrdom, they continued and marched on and brought Rome to its knees. By the third century. That was the power of this message. That was the fulfillment of it. You see, when Jesus says something, let me tell you something now. It's, you, you know this. It's not like when I say something or when you say something. When he declares something, right, in time, every successive moment beyond what's been spoken comes to serve what has been said. 
He said this to his disciples and everything on from that moment served to fulfill the very thing that had been spoken by Jesus. Everything tried to resist it. Circumstances, people, rulers, counselors, and the like. But nothing could stop the ongoing purpose and the power of this commissioning moment in John chapter 20 when Jesus spoke to these, dis, these, these disillusioned, defeated disciples in a really dark place. Doesn't that give you hope? It certainly does me. I tell you now, you're not who you think you are. You are who God says you are. I'm telling you now, tell every devil in hell that. And when the devil comes to you and he tries to counteract what God has spoken to you, just take him to Revelation and read that to him. You go into a bottomless pit forever. Do a little study with him. So that was the setting behind these words. As Father has sent me, I'm sending you boys. It's not going to be in an inferior manner. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to raise the dead. You're going to cleanse the lepers. You're going to do incredible things. It's going to take you before kings. It's going to take you before, before all manner of people. It's going to take you to the lowest. It's going to take you to the highest. This gospel of grace is not going to be contained. Boys, just get out there and do it. Get out there and do it. And with that excitement, with that excitement in their heart, do you know what he did? We, we are, we're not going to refer to it. He breathed on them. He breathed on them and he said, receive the Spirit. Receive Him. And that was a moment that would lead to other moments over a 40-day period. And then they would wait another 50 days and suddenly the power of the Holy Ghost would come in to an upper room in Acts chapter 2. Like a violent rushing wind. They would speak in tongues and they would burst out into the street because a building couldn't contain them. And masses of people were meeting and suddenly men and women heard languages from their own nation that it was impossible for these men to understand or know. And they could only conclude these are drunk with new wine. Peter stands up and he says, no, this is fulfillment of prophecy. The word telling you when God speaks, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. God's spoken over this nation. The clock's ticking. We're nearer, we're nearer to God's move today than we've ever been. Even though it might look darker, prophecy has to come to pass. It really does. These men aren't drunk as you suppose. This is fulfillment of what Joel said hundreds of years ago. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit. Hey, the women are in there too. Thank God for that. I tell you now, when you look at what the women did in the New Testament, it equaled any man. Of course it did. God uses anyone and everyone, all of us, together. He really did. Power of the Holy Ghost comes on them. 
and they start to move, man. They don't back off. It doesn't matter what opposition comes. They, they, they just got gladness of heart and a connection with God. They don't get banners and placards and protest. Whenever there's opposition and uprising against them, they just get on their knees, start praying. The power of God shakes the building and out, back out they go, start proclaiming the gospel. Where? Not in buildings like this. Wherever they are. In the highways, in the byways. Just doing exactly what Jesus had done, what they'd seen him do. And as the Father had anointed Jesus, oh, Jesus anointed them. And they moved in the same power and in the same spirit and with the same fire and urgency to reach the lost. This is an example for us. This is an encouragement for us. This should, this should cause a hunger a hunger within us. Lord, how are you going to use me? What are you going to do? How's it going to work out? Jesus didn't tell them the details. Jesus told them the headlines. And every single day on from this moment just filled out the details. As they went up and down their world, reaching people for Christ. They weren't sent out in an inferior way. They were sent out with power. To do what? Only he could do. Now, when Jesus said this, and we said this over, over the weeks, when Jesus said these words to them, their minds must have gone back. How did Father send Jesus out? That would be the obvious question to know in order to answer how Jesus was sending them out. How did Father send him out? And in understanding how Father sent Jesus out, they would understand the qualities and the characteristics that would come about in their lives as Jesus sent them out. And it's a question important for us to answer, to know that when we look at Jesus and see how the Father sent him, we can begin to understand how he wants to send us. And we referred to John chapter 1, remember? John chapter 1. And John, going back... Unlike the other three Gospels, he talks about exactly how Jesus was sent out. What was visible on his life. What moved through him. What manifest on him as he ministered to masses of people. John chapter 1 verse 14, John said this. We beheld his glory. Or we looked upon his glory. We saw it evident, moving every day, every moment. As he ministered to people, we beheld it, we saw it, we experienced it. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's how Jesus went out into his world, not with the law, not with the condemning message, not with the protest. Jesus just went out with the grace of God. He was full of it. And that glory rested on him. People experienced it. They saw it. They witnessed it. And he dispensed it. And all of the complexities of life, all of the unanswerable questions, all of the crises that people had that they couldn't do anything with, that left them hopeless, simply melted under that wonderful grace melted under that wonderful glory. It could be but a word from your lips that is infused with the grace of God 
that's aroused in your heart that could melt a mountain of condemnation that a young woman or a young man is carrying. It could be, but a kind act, a cup of cold water or the like that could be undertaken by your hand, an action taken by your life toward another that could relieve them of guilt and shame and anxiety. Oh, church of God inside you lives the Holy Spirit. Inside you is the helper. Inside you is the very life of God. And it's directing you, unbeknown to you, there's situations in the diary that's got your name on it. The divine diary of heaven. Meeting points that you're going you're gonna to come across with others. And it's going to be a look, a kind gesture, or openly declaring the good news of the gospel. And you're going to find that you're going to minister just as Christ ministered because as the Father sent him, so he sends you. And there's going to be a grace from you. There's going to be a glory of God on you that changes whatever it touches. This is the wonderful, wonderful privilege that we carry as his followers, carriers of such a glorious commission. We really do. And over the weeks, we looked at four statements, just four points trying to encapsulate this wonderful grace that flowed so richly from Jesus. This wonderful grace that Jesus personified and dispensed four simple statements as we looked at encounters that Jesus had with people. Let me give them to you this morning and we're going to look at the fourth point when we just read of a new encounter that Jesus had with a man that was in a complete hopeless situation. But the four points that we've looked at that encapsulate this wonderful grace that we try to encapsulate anyway by these statements are this. Firstly, we said that grace cannot be defined, only displayed. When we go through these statements, they'll ring true to your life. We said that there's no definition found in the Scriptures, whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, regarding the grace of God. Why? It can't be defined. It's undefinable. It's so vast. It's so infinite, but it's demonstrated almost on every page of the Scriptures. You try, and you try and define grace. You try and define the richness of God's love in your life. It's impossible. You know, we can give an acronyms to grace like we do, and they're good. You know, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a great anacronym. A great anacronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. But oh, to try and really define it is impossible. I think it was Isaac Newton, wasn't it? Was it Isaac Newton who said, amazing grace? Was it Isaac Newton? I don't know. Winston Churchill? 
John Newton, Isaac Newton had the apple, didn't he? Was it? Picasso. Do you know what? Once Picasso said, amazing grace. No, he chopped his ear off. He needed grace. He did. I tell you what, John Newton, John Newton said, right? John Newton said, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You can't define it. You can only see it displayed. Secondly, we said that grace never holds our history against us. We looked at the woman that was caught in adultery and men who had thrown her at Jesus' feet, wanting to stone her under the law, holding her history against her. But when grace stood up for her, it disarmed all her accusers and set her forth into a new future whereby she didn't have to go back to that old way of life that weighed her down. Go and sin no more, he said. Only grace can do that. Gave her the power to live a new life. And we looked also on that week at the paralytic man that was brought in on the bed. Jesus just forgives his sin openly in front of religious men. And they said, you can't do that. Inwardly, they said it. And he heard. He heard their words within them. And he said, listen, the Son of Man doesn't only forgive sins, but that you might know that he's got authority on earth. He can raise him off his bed, get up and walk. And he walked out with his stretcher. Grace does not hold our history against us. There's a whole history in this city where people are bound. People are lost. People are hopeless. And they're they're held by their history. Drug addicts, drug dealers, criminals. All kinds of things. Grace is going to come through our lives. It's going to be a bridge into a new life for them. Grace doesn't hold our history against us. If it did, none of us would be here. And we carry this same hope. We carry this same expectation to meet others in the harvest. We said grace cannot be defined, only displayed. Grace never holds our history against us. Grace reaches the unreachable. Remember, we looked at Jesus as he was moving from Judea to Galilee. And as he went past Samaria, he said to his disciples, we've got to go through Samaria. Samaria was the place where Jews didn't go. Samaria was an irreligious place. And there'd been hundreds of years between Jew and Samaritan. Hostility was all around. Jesus said, we're going through. Why? To reach somebody that was unreachable. And he reaches out to a woman by a well. He forgives her sins and he gives her a drink of living water whereby she would never thirst again. Today we're going to look at for the time we've got left, which isn't much now. Only another hour. Oh well. Bring it on. We're going to, we're going to think about how grace is the missing ingredient. What makes your life attractive, grace? What makes your life relevant to the world in which we live? It's the missing ingredient of grace. Church should be the happiest place. Church should be the most, the, 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 the most wanted place to go to. 
And it will be when grace covers and oozes from the people of God. This city, this land is going to get a fresh revelation of God's grace. His unmerited favor. His goodness. It's His goodness, the Bible tells us, that leads us to repentance. Not, you know, smashing you across the head saying, you're wrong, you shouldn't have done that. You broke all the rules, people know all that. What does God do? What does God do? How does God come to a world that thinks he hates them? He comes with his goodness. For, that's right, sir. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son, it says, John 3, chapter 17. God sent his son into the world not to condemn it but to save it. So Jesus went on a saving mission every day in his ministry. I've come not to be served. I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Is that our priority? Is that the prize? Is that the prize of your life? Is that the burning desire in our hearts? If not, then go to the Lord. The Lord of the harvest. Say, Lord, make me a laborer. And it doesn't mean, you know, that... that God will make you a laborer in the most unusual of ways. Doesn't mean you're going to, you know, wear a sandwich board and go uptown. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to get a microphone and, and stand up and, and shout and, you know, draw attention to yourself. No. Do you know what? The Bible says, let your gentleness be known to all. Gently instruct. Lovingly. Lovingly come alongside. Speak the truth in love. Let's remove all of those images from our minds. Anyway. Grace is that missing ingredient that our world needs. To know that God loves it. God's not against it. God wants to save it. And we are in a time of grace. We really are. I was going to read to you. I'm going to just summarize it. I'm not going to read it to you this morning. But I was going to read to you from Mark chapter 5. And you can read this, this chapter when you go home. Please do. Mark chapter 5. Jesus had just finished ministering to multitudes of people. Okay? That's the setting behind it. They'd been with him for a number of days. and They were hungry and the disciples turned around to him and say, Listen, Jesus, you need to send these guys home. They're going to they're, they're gonna faint along the way if they don't go now. So Jesus said, Hey, listen, why don't we just feed them? Oops. Jesus! A whole year's wages wouldn't do the deal here. We where are we going to get all of this? You see, grace, grace comes in the midst of deficiency, in the midst of needs. We can't do this. We can't do it. But when grace arrives, 
grace can reach for resources that we have no idea exist. He takes the bread and the fish and he breaks it. Just simply whispers. Takes it. He blesses it. He breaks it. They distribute it. A miracle happens. 5,000, over 5,000 people receive it. 12 baskets left over. And then Jesus begins to dismiss the crowds after they'd all been fed. But work wasn't over. You can read about it in Mark chapter 5. Work wasn't over for this team. They wanted probably to leave with the crowds. They thought that, you know, they'd clocked in in the morning, 9 a.m. Now it was 5, time to go home. But, you know, the kingdom of God has no parameters for time. The kingdom of God has to keep on going forward. And Jesus, hearing his father, just like he'd heard him when he passed by Samaria to take a detour, suddenly can't go home. He hasn't got one. And he directs now, as he dismisses the crowds, he directs his disciples into the boat. They're going to the other side. Out they go. And suddenly they get caught in a terrible storm. And it's, it's really at sinking point that they wake Jesus up because he's having a sleep in the stern of the boat. Which sounds crazy to us. But grace rests. When everybody else is striving, when everybody else is working, when everybody else is doing what they can do to keep the ship afloat, grace is just resting and sleeping and at ease. They wake him up, Jesus, don't you care? We're perishing. See, they didn't really have an understanding that he's the master of every storm. Just like us. Just like us. This isn't a criticism I don't know if you can deal with this. I was in bed just the beginning of this week. And the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, Dave, do you believe that I can help you with anything? I said, Lord, I believe with all of my heart. End of encounter. Go to bed. Now, we'll see as life goes on whether I can believe him to help me with anything. But as far as he is concerned, he's available to help me with anything. It's just going to be dependent on whether I believe or not. They wake him up. They don't believe. We're perishing. He gets up, looks in the wind, looks at the, the waves. Peace, be still. Suddenly, order. Order. They get to the other side. And now, again, they're confronted with disorder and confusion. A man is running crazy, naked, demon-possessed. He'd broken chains. He had a huge history, a huge reputation. And kind of all of the points that we've talked about are wrapped up in this man. He didn't need a, a definition or a recital intellectually about grace. He just needed a demonstration of it in his life. He needed to know that his past wasn't going to be held. His history wasn't going to be held against him. He needed to know that Jesus 
in his love and in his mercy and in his glory could reach the most unreachable person. He needed this missing ingredient and suddenly he throws himself at Jesus' feet and begins to worship him. Jesus commands the spirits out of him, legions of them. Legions of evil history. Legions of history that had tried to destroy him and destroy others. He broke chains. He cut himself. He lived in graveyards and tombs. He was isolated, alone, dejected on a course for destruction and now he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Can we do this? Nope. But we know a man who can. There's people in our city, drug bound, addicted. They can't relieve themselves of that addiction. The last thing they need is condemning words from a Christian. And I thank God this isn't a place of condemnation. I really do. This is a lifeboat with laborers on it trying to pull every languishing soul from the ocean of sin. Suddenly, the grace of God in moments, what men had tried to do for years and had failed. The grace of God restores the man to his right mind. He's got clothes on him. And suddenly, this guy, see, this is what grace does. This is the demonstration. You can't define it. It just powerfully demonstrates itself in life, in crisis, in impossibility. That's what he does. That's what Jesus does. And we are going to witness it more and more. We are. The church at large. The church at large. Not just this church. Every church in Wales. That's our hope. Is going to ring out with glorious testimonies. Of men and women saved by the grace of God. Held up as trophies in his hand. In the face of every demonic force. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the kingdom of God. Right here in this man. The disciples looking at it all. My God, he's fed, he's fed a multitude of people with meager loaves and fish that had taken over a year's wages to, to provide for. We've gone through a storm and he's calmed that. And we were left thinking, what manner of man is this? And now there's a demoniac. Not thousands of people. He's traveled all this way, gone through all of this, this oppression and obstruction. Trying to stop us to get to one. The value that he places on but one. The time that he gives the attention to the call and the cry that came from this man's heart. You may be called to, to, to speak to masses of people. I don't know. But what a privilege it is to follow the example of Jesus. To talk to but just one. Like he did. The man's restored to his right mind. And then, you read it in Mark chapter 5, you'll see it. Then, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I've got to come with you, man. I'm coming with you. I mean, that's the obvious response, isn't it? I want to follow you. What does Jesus say? No, listen, go home. Go home. So, on his way home, the Bible says he went through the 
Decapolis. The region of 10 cities. 10 cities. One man. And do you know what he did? He went through those 10 cities and he told them about the good news of this grace. He told them how it unpacked in his life. He told them how it set him free from legions of demons. He told them about the wonderful display, the wonderful order, the wonderful, the wonderful fact that it hadn't held its, its history against him. And he went through the 10 cities of the Decapolis and told of the great works of God and people were amazed. Just like that woman that had had five husbands and the one that she was living with wasn't her own, went into the city and just told everyone about the goodness of God. The Messiah had come and Jesus had to stay two and a half days more just to dispense the grace, the grace of God. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing and privilege we have. Now he sends us out, you see. I say all of that for you to see it. I, I refer to these, these events and these encounters that Jesus had with people for one reason and one reason alone. For us to see how Father sent him and how Jesus sends us. Because we are not sent in any inferior way or any lesser way to what Christ was sent. That might blow your mind. And it should. Because in and of ourselves, we can do nothing. But with Him, with Him, we can do all things. I'm going to have to ask the musicians to come. Hallelujah. God is so good. God is so good. The application of this simple message, the application of these words of Scripture to our lives are to be fulfilled as we go out of this place. James, the apostle, encouraging the church, said to them, listen, always make sure you're not just a hearer of this word you want to unpack it you want to see its power do this word yeah you may be afraid well we've covered that the disciples were behind closed doors they were barred they were absolutely fine to be afraid absolutely fine not a problem not a problem to Jesus go with your fear into his presence talk to him about that one person that you're afraid to speak to. The Spirit of God will go and soften the heart of that person. You watch. There'll be an open highway into their heart. I'm telling you, go with the excitement again into the presence of God and thank Him for the great commission that He's given you to, to, to be an ambassador. Sorry for spitting. Big puddle on the floor there. You're an ambassador. That's how the Bible describes you. An ambassador of another kingdom. On course with a lost world. To aid it. To help it. And to see it redeemed. This is not fairy tales. Paul said this. Let me finally give you this. 
Let me give you this. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes it, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. We're not ashamed of this gospel that we carry. We're not ashamed of the good news of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not ashamed of this grace that's burning in our hearts. And the moment that you very simply explain it, you explain it. The moment that you explain the simplicity of the gospel, according to the word of God, the power of God is present. The power of God is present. It's a moment that's opened up by your willingness to speak it. If you will speak the gospel to any person in any situation, in simplicity, you might stutter, it might come out broken, you might be a little confused as to as to how to explain it, but I'm telling you now, if you do it with the right heart, you mention the name of Jesus, suddenly the power of God, the power of God is immediate and ready to be accessed by the person who's willing to believe it. That's what Paul was saying. And that's the confidence he had. And that's why he did incredible things with his life because he went out with this simple resolve. Amen. You may be here this morning and you may not know Jesus. We've talked this morning about Jesus Christ. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago, a fact of history. The Bible says he died for one reason. He didn't die because he came to the end of his life, like many people. People die because they come to the end of their lives. Jesus did not die because he came to the end of his life. He died because he laid it down. The Bible's very clear. He laid it down because of our sin. And he took the weight of our sin. And God judged him so that we might go free. That we may access this wonderful saving grace that he's provided. Hallelujah. And today, by simply believing... A miracle can take place in your heart. I don't know who you are today. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know if you've been coming here for a number of weeks or you've come here for the first time. Let me ask you, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Not based on who you've been or who you think you are, but solely based on the fact that he's given his life to die for you so that your sins might be forgiven and that you might receive this wonderful gift, free gift of Salvation as you place your faith in Him. I'm going to pray right now. And maybe to help you, you can pray these words with me. A miracle will take place. And you will experience this wonderful saving grace that Jesus died and suffered and paid the price for. Say this quietly in your heart. Jesus, I ask you, to come into my heart, 
to be my savior. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. That the punishment of my sin was laid upon you. You paid the price for it. And I ask you now, forgive me of my sin. I want to have a living relationship with you. From this very moment forward, I want to know you. I believe and I call on your name. Thank you for the assurance that today I shall be saved. Amen. Now, I realize this morning that most of us here are part of the church. There may have just been one person here today, two people. It matters not numbers. You prayed that prayer. Maybe tell the friend that brought you today. Or if you've come on your own, listen, I'd love to talk to you. If you prayed that prayer, you believed. It's a moment today where you've asked Christ into your heart. It's a day of miracle today for you as you've experienced his salvation. Amen. Father, I thank you for your people. Holy Spirit, thank you for declaring to us in your word. As Father sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us. Lord, I pray that your supernatural grace would flow from our hearts, our eyes, our actions, our words to a lost and a dying world, that our lives would be a very bridge into your saving grace, that our lives would be like that vehicle that takes people from one place to another, from death into life. I pray, Lord, over this week that you would give us opportunity after opportunity to share your saving grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we...